Well, it's an exciting uh, day as we begin a new series. We finished up last week with our series, The Proverbial Life. We were in that all summer. I, I had several of you this week ask me if we were going to do a response Sunday. You may remember when we finished our Hebrew series, we took a Sunday and we just responded to what God had done among us, what God had said. And we are going to do a response Sunday, but we're going to actually do it at the end of this new series. So this morning we're entering into a series called On Mission Together, where we're going to take the next six weeks and we're going to be looking at our mission statement as a church and where that's rooted in the scriptures and why it's rooted in the scriptures and what that means. At the end or the conclusion on the last Sunday when we're talking about the glory of God, uh, we'll have another response Sunday on that morning. And so I would invite you to start thinking now about ways that God may be prompting you uh, to respond before the body uh, as, we, as we draw closer to that. But for the next six weeks, we're going um, to be talking about our mission. Now, uh, some of you probably already know our mission statement. You've seen it around on the banners and whatnot. It's, uh, it's on these two banners here up on stage. But as we begin this morning, I, I'd love for us to just sort of read that through together. So hopefully you can see it well. I think maybe they'll put it on the screens as well. But would you join me? Let's just sort of, let's sort of talk this through together. So it says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, E.V. Free Fullerton is a loving community, united in sacrifice, and living like Christ for the glory of God. Now it's interesting, any time that, uh, that you have a, a mission statement, there's people that kind of want to split hairs on what a mission statement is versus a vision statement versus a value statement. If you've been in a business that cares about this kind of thing, you'll hear people go, well, a mission statement is actually why your organization exists, whereas a vision statement is where you see your organization going, whereas a value statement are sort of the, the rules and, and standards by which you will operate inside that mission towards that vision. So which one of these is that? But it's different for us as the body of Christ. Because firstly, uh, we, we don't have to be innovative, right? So when it comes to a church mission statement, um, w- there was never a time where we as elders were sitting together going, hey, how can we come up with something nobody's ever thought about as far as like the purpose and the agenda of our church? Like we weren't trying to come up with something new. We weren't trying to come up with something fancy. When it comes to the purpose of the church, that has been historically established by the Lord Jesus. And it falls to us then as his people to simply determine what it is he's already said. He is the one who says, this is why the churches exist. He is the one who says, this is where the church is going. And he is the one who provides the value statement by which we live out that mission. And so when we put this mission statement together, essentially all we're doing is we're just sort of synthesizing or synopsizing what Jesus has already said famously in several passages. It doesn't fall to us to think up something fresh or something new. And in fact, the places where Christians feel tempted to be innovative or to come with something completely out of the box, they've many times walked away from what Jesus has already said with authority. The other thing to remember is that because we're not a bank and we're not an architecture firm and we're not a school, our mission statement is both a statement about who we are and a statement about who we are becoming, right? Because that's what being a Christian is as well. We are all the children of God, those of us who put our faith in Christ, but we're becoming increasingly conformed to his image. So when we read a statement like this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Evie Free Fullerton is a loving community, united in sacrifice, and living like Christ for the glory of God, we're both making a statement about who we currently are, but we're also making a statement about who it is we want to be. And we're talking about the values in which we will continue to endeavor in both of those processes, right? And it's all rooted in what Jesus himself said. So passages like John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, Jesus, on the night of the resurrection, he, uh, he walks into a locked room where the disciples were kind of hunkered down. They were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to them. And Jesus says to them, shalom. He says, peace be with you. And then he says in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus establishes mission and vision and values in this, in this room where he looks at them and says, Hey, I am sending you on my mission, right? It's important for us to know that the mission of the church is not distinct and different from the mission of Christ, but that what he's done is he's invited us to continue his mission. Right? His mission didn't stop and ours start. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We're just continuing the work of Christ. In, uh, in Matthew 28, probably the most famous sort of mission statement, Matthew 28, which is called the Great Commission in verses 18 and following, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, hey, here's the mission, you're supposed to go and make disciples, be my ambassadors, teach them to obey everything which I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But he doesn't just tell us to go and do it. He says, first, all the power has been given to me, right? Jesus says, all the authority is mine, and I'm going to be with you always. You've heard me say before the the fact that if Jesus has all the power and he's with us always, what can't we do, right? You, You put anything in the middle of that sandwich, the power of God and the presence of God, and it all becomes infinitely doable. If the Great Commission read, God, you know, if he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore get on your bicycles and ride them to Hawaii and I will be with you always, even till the end of the age, you know what we'd be able to do? We'd be able to ride our bikes to Hawaii, right? I don't know that we'd want to because there's a volcano and stuff, but we could, right? Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them to obey. In Acts chapter one, another famous passage, Acts chapter one, again, Jesus talking about mission. He says, but you will receive power, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus says, go and be my witnesses, both here, and further out, and further out, and further out. He's calling us to make disciples. He's calling us to go out on the very same mission he himself was on. And so we don't have to be innovative. We don't have to think of a fancy new way to say what Jesus has already said. We just have to embody that, right? What's important as we think about the mission of Christ for his church, though, is that in every case where we see Jesus give a mission assignment to his people, the Holy Spirit is always intrinsically tied to that process. There is never a time where, where Jesus says, hey, in your own strength, or in your own power, or because of your own intellect, or because of your experience, or because of your great education, or because of how much money you've got in the bank, go and make disciples, or go out on mission that I was on. Or He doesn't ever say that. He always says, he breathes on them and says, the Holy Spirit be on you, right? I'm sending you like the Father has sent me. All the authority has been given in me, right? Given to me. Go out and make disciples because of the power of Christ. In Acts chapter one, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and be my witnesses. And so what I want you to see is that in our church mission statement, it's not an accident, it's not coincidence that the very first phrase we're talking about this morning is this idea of being empowered by the Spirit. It is the starting point, and if we don't get that one right, none of the rest of it makes any sense or will absolutely work, right? It falls all apart if we don't get this other idea of the empowerment of the Spirit. And so that's where we're at this morning. 
talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. And it's no wonder that the the power of the Spirit is essential because Jesus himself did ministry in the power of the Spirit. When Jesus came back from his time in the desert being tempted by Satan, Luke chapter four tells us at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke 4, 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. The ministry of Christ himself was a ministry of the power of the Spirit of God. And so then it's also no wonder that at the end of the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What's he talking about? He looks at his disciples and says, hey, the, the Holy Spirit, which we've talked about, my Father is sending the Holy Spirit, but until you are clothed with the power of the Spirit, don't start the ministry I've left with you, right? Stay put until you are clothed with power from on high. Why? Because Jesus recognized that if they just went out there and tried to do it with the old heave-ho by the strength of their own muscles or their own intellect or their own education or their own experience, that it would fall flat. Jesus wanted them to wait until the power of the Spirit was upon them to begin the things he called them to do. That's very important for us to pay attention to. He says the Father will fulfill this promise that the Spirit will come. So what is that, what is the value and what is the purpose of the Spirit in our lives? Well, Jesus speaks to that quite a bit. John chapter 14, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I'm asking the Father to give you a helper, a comforter, a a, a person to empower you for the ministry ahead. And he will be with you always, Jesus says. So there's something about the presence and the comfort, the assistance of the Spirit of God. If we skip down to verse 25 of John 14, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In John 14, 25 and following, Jesus says, the Spirit will be your helper by reminding you the things that I've said, by bringing to your remembrance the things I've done and the things that I've taught. You know, for many of us, we forget the fact that there is power in God's word, in what he has articulated. It's no wonder that, that God's word is the sword of the Spirit, that he brings to our remembrance what God has called us to, who God is and what his expectation is for us. And so Jesus was very clear about the fact that it was, that it was good for us to wait for and embrace the power of the Spirit to be on the mission that he's called us to. But I would guess that there are some of you that even as I start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, you start to get a little fidgety, yeah? Maybe it makes you a little bit nervous. There are some of you, maybe you've come from very conservative backgrounds, and as soon as somebody starts to talk about the Holy Spirit, you kind of grip the armrests of your seat, and you start to get a little, you're not really sure where this is going to go, right? You start to feel nervous, because you don't really understand the Holy Spirit. In many traditions, in many, in many Christian churches, they've diminished the role of the Spirit so much that he doesn't seem like fully God. He doesn't feel like the part of the Trinity, equal with the Father and Son. He feels like something lesser. In many cases, people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, as opposed to a he, right? There's no, there's no personality, and yet the Bible reveals the Holy Spirit as a person, 
That there's a, there's a personality there. There's an activity. There's an, an absolute vitality. But I think that many of us, we start to get nervous. Well, I, and I, I know, I, for some of you, you know, you start to get nervous that if we, we talk about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, you might have even been nervous when you saw the signs go up, that the next thing that happens is people are barking like dogs and they're talking in tongues and they're floating three feet above the floor or they're covered with glitter or who knows. Like there's all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And you start to get nervous about what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. And so our response tends to be, unfortunately, to kind of hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length, right? Because we're worried about what that might mean. If the Holy Spirit empowers me and it's not me by myself, it's not just me, my own sort of fuel uh, in and of who I am, then where will that take me? Where will I go? What could that mean for my life if it's the Spirit of God fueling me instead of me myself? I, my wife and I went to, uh, we went to see Benny Hinn. You guys know who that is, Benny Hinn? Uh, famous sort of uh, like healer, miracle guy, televangelist. And uh, when I was in college, uh, he, was, he was doing a miracle thing at uh, Phoenix First Assembly, in, which is right out where I used to live. And so I told my wife, I'm like, we gotta go and see Benny Hinn. And she's like, do we? And I'm like, let's go. So we went. Um, and uh, we got there, and with the seats we got were in the third balcony. So Phoenix First Assembly is a huge church. We were on the third balcony, front row of the third balcony. And uh, so it's, we're like six stories up in the air, and we're watching this whole thing. And they did music for like two hours. The thing started at six. They, they sang and choir and orchestra, the whole deal, and t- until about eight o'clock. At eight o'clock, Benny Hinn started to preach. And uh, to be fair, Benny did, uh, he, it was a great, it was actually a great sermon, very expository and Bible-based. It was very, like it was a great message. But it was two hours long, right? So it's 10 o'clock by the time we get done with the music. And you guys are so lucky that I only talk for 35 minutes, right? Um, Two hours of teaching, two hours of music, and then at 10 o'clock is when he starts all the miracle stuff, right? And so people are coming up, and he's hitting them on the forehead. He's whacking them with his jacket, you know, knocking people over. Um, at one point, he turns around, and he, uh, he looks at the choir, which has like 300 people in it. He goes, choir, do you want the anointing? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, bam! And they all passed out, right? The whole choir <laughs> fell down like dominoes. Then he, then he starts doing that to different sections of the church. So he looks out into the audience, and he goes, uh, section 110, do you want the anointing? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, bam! Again, and they all passed out. And he did that a couple of times, and I, uh, I, I started realizing that being on the front row of the third balcony... We might be in a little bit of trouble, you know? And so there was this little old lady sitting next to me and I said, you know, uh, I kind of hope we don't get the anointing up here because if we do, we're gonna topple over this little half wall and we're gonna fall to our deaths, you know? And uh, she, she goes, you don't think he will, do you? And, and, and then she sat down, right? She said she wasn't gonna stand anymore. She's too nervous. And I tell you that story because I think for many of us, this is, it's kind of a decent picture of the way we think about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be empowered by him because we're afraid that if he, if he falls upon us, right, that we will be pushed over the edge, that we will topple over the safe little place we're standing and that we'll fall into an area that we don't want to go, that he might lead us to our deaths, right? And so instead, we sit down in our seats and we keep our hands folded and we try and keep things in our own strength. We tend to take on this sort of American mentality when it comes to the things of God where we go, you know what, I got this. I got this. You want me to be a Sunday school teacher? Okay, I'll be a Sunday school teacher. I can do it in my own strength. You want me to teach a sermon? Okay, I know how to teach. I know how to study the Bible. I just do it in my own strength. You want me to serve the poor? You want me to live uh, you know, missionally in my community? Okay, I'm just gonna kind of pull myself up on my bootstraps and do the American thing and just power through it my own way. 
The Bible says that all of us who are followers of Christ are indwelt by the Spirit of God, that the the Creator God makes His home within us. But there is something different between being indwelt by the Spirit of God and being empowered by the Spirit of God. And for many of us, we go, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do it my own way. The, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit seems dangerous, seems a little dangerous. I love this quote by Annie Dillard. She says this, Annie Dillard says, Why do people in church seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute? Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. You feel like you need a crash helmet here on Sunday mornings? I'll tell you, most of the time I don't. I feel like a straw hat would be perfectly acceptable. And I think it's because we tend to live safe lives empowered by ourselves. But if we want to be a loving community, united in sacrifice, living like Christ for the glory of God, you know what Jesus says in John 15? He says, apart from him, we can't do anything. So when we talk about doing things in our own strength, guess what that means? It means no strength. It means us sort of, you know, actually in our teaching team this week, one of the the leaders said, you know, it's like having the power of a rocket ship and choosing to travel instead by pedal car, right? Because the rocket ship feels so dangerous and it feels so out of control and it feels so chaotic that instead we're content to just sit in our little pedal car and, you know, sort of push ourselves around. That many of us as Christians, that's what we're endeavoring to do. We're ignoring the power of the rocket ship within us and we're just sort of getting by in our safe little contented lives. But you know that Jesus says it's for our advantage? That the Holy Spirit is for our advantage? In John chapter 16, Jesus says this, John 16, seven, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. So why are we living these pedal car lives. Why haven't we lashed ourselves to the rocket ship? Because we're afraid. Because we have this I can do it mentality. I think many of us sort of think about Christianity in terms of what does God want from me, right? What does God want from me? You come here on a Sunday and you listen to a message like this and what you're hoping to take home is, hey, God wants you to do this, right? God wants you to serve and he wants you to love other people and maybe quit smoking cigarettes or whatever, right? You're just looking for a little to-do list, But the more important question than the question of what God wants from us, because at the end of the day, God doesn't need anything from us, the more important question than what God wants from you is what does God want for you? Any of you in the room who are parents, you know that you don't really need anything from your kids, right? They can do things around the house and they can contribute, you know, whatever. My kids are excited because they're thinking they're not going to have to pay for their car. You still have to pay for your car. Um, But I don't need anything from my kids. Far more important than what I want from my kids are my dreams for my kids. You know what I'm saying? When's the last time you stopped to ask yourself, what does God want for me? 
The God of the universe who created your eyelashes and your elbows, he wants you to be filled with the power of his spirit. He wants you to be clothed in his power to do his work. And he doesn't want you to be pedaling around in a pedal car. That's why I love Ephesians chapter three. So Ephesians chapter three, which is our core text this morning, Ephesians chapter three is the, it's the second of two prayers that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. And it's a prayer of empowerment. That's what the whole thing is about. And it's brilliant. So look with me, if you will, at Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following. He starts like this in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I like the way he begins the prayer. He says, look, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to fall down before the God who created all things. Everything on heaven, in heaven and on earth derives its name from this origin, from this source. It makes sense to go to that God for power. Because everything we know and everything we've experienced, he is the source of. So Paul says, I'm humbling myself before the the Father in heaven from whom all things on earth derive their name. I like his humility in it. I like his recognition of where the power comes from. And then look at what, what he says next. He says, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you power to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's an important verse, right? Verse 16. And I love the way it starts. He says, I'm kneeling before the one who gives everything in heaven and earth its name, and I'm asking him that according to his riches and glory, he would strengthen you in your inner being. Now, that word according is important. The word according is important, uh, and in some translations you have, it might say out of his riches. It might say, I'm praying that the Father out of his riches would strengthen you. That that translation's no good because it needs to be according. And the difference is this. Um, Let's say you're riding on the city bus and you bump into Bill Gates, right? I'm... I have no idea what Bill Gates is doing on the city bus, but he's there for some reason. Somebody dropped him off. He's trying to get home, back to Seattle, whatever. You bump into Bill Gates on the city bus, and Bill Gates pulls out of his wallet a crisp, clean $10 bill, and he gives you a $10 bill, right? That would be, essentially, Bill Gates giving to you $10 out of his riches, right? It's a part of what he has, and he gave you 10 of it, right? But if Bill Gates reaches out and pulls out his checkbook and he writes you a check for $100,000, that's Bill Gates giving to you according to his riches. Does that make sense? One is a portion, the other is a proportion. See the difference? One is in accordance with his wealth. Well, when we think about the riches and the glory of God, how much does he have? He has it all. He owns it all. He created it all. It all exists for him and by him and through him, right? And for his glory. So when Paul says, I'm kneeling before the one from whom all things in heaven and earth derive their name, and I'm asking him according to his riches, in proportion with his wealth, to fill you with strength in your inner being according to his Holy Spirit. What is that? Well, it's interesting. When we think about strength, a lot of times we think about external strength, right? We think about these guys with muscles or no neck or what we think about like our ability to sort of power through our own sort of fortitude, internal fortitude, external fortitude. But that's not the kind of strength he's talking about here. He doesn't say, I'm praying that God, according to his riches, will strengthen you outside so that you'll be able to do good deeds. That's not what he's talking about. It's not about doing It's an internal strength. Why? Because the internal strength will affect the external. But you can have external strength. You can be physically fit. You can be able to sort of weather all kinds of abuse. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the internal strength of the Spirit of God. He says, I'm praying that according to his riches, that the Father of all things would strengthen you in your inner being by his Holy Spirit. 
It's power. It's that same association with power we see in Acts 1.8, we see in Acts 10.38, that the Holy Spirit is associated with power. It's not about what we do. It's not about our new ministry guide and all our fancy little programs and all of our different facilities and all of the stuff that we can do. It's about God's power, not the external, the internal. And that empowerment by the Spirit in our inner being has a purpose. So it's not just being strengthened in our inner being by the power of the Spirit so that we can look at each other and go, hey, you got the strength of the the Spirit inside you? Yeah, me too. High five right here. Knuckle pound all around. Good for us. We got the strength of the Holy Spirit. Rah, rah. No, there's a purpose. Look at what it says in 17. In fact, look at the first two words of 17. In 16, he says, I'm praying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that, right? That so that's important. What we see here is that this entire prayer is kind of a telescope. It's like it's sort of unfolding as it goes. And in order for the things at the end to work, the things at the beginning have to be in place. He says, I'm praying that the Father will strengthen you in your inner being according to his spirit so that Christ may dwell in you richly. I think that's the ESV translation. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What's that mean? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, that phrase could could just as easily be translated so that the Lord Jesus would be settled down and at home in you. The power of the Spirit in your inner being so that Jesus would be settled down and at home in you. I don't know what your life has been like, but my, my dad left when I was 13, right? He packed his clothes into suitcases and he left my mom, he left my brother and I, he left our church, he, he took off. And so as a young man and as an adult, there have been times in my life where I'm very fearful of abandonment. I'm very fearful that the people who seem like they like me are gonna bail, Right? And I bring that to my faith. And a lot of times as a young Christian, I would think about Jesus and I would think, man, I have to do good deeds. I have to be careful not to do anything wrong. I have to look holy and make sure other people see all the good stuff I'm doing because I don't want Jesus to pack his clothes into his suitcases and splits. I don't want him to leave me. What Ephesians 3, what Paul is praying is that by the power of the Spirit of God in your inner being, that the result of that power would be the Lord Jesus settled down at home in you. What's the picture? It's not, of, it's not the picture of Jesus with his bags packed. It's the picture of Jesus having taken his clothes out of the suitcases and put them into the dresser drawers. That Jesus is sitting on the couch of your life. He's got his shoes kicked off. His feet are up on the coffee table. He's holding the remote and he ain't going anywhere. That he didn't come to your life because you were so clean or because you were so holy or because you'd gotten yourself in such great order. He came because you couldn't do those things. Because of his great love for you, he moved in. And when you prove to be broken and when you prove to be flawed and when you prove to be selfish and prideful and all of these other things, he's not going anywhere because he loves you. And so he settled down and at home in you. Shoes kicked off, remote in hand. The spirit of God in our inner being strengthens us so that Jesus will rest in us. That we'll know he's resting in us. And then look at what it says next. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, right? That you being rooted and grounded in love. There's two terms here. One's an agricultural word and one's an architectural word. The agricultural one, rooted, that's a kind of a farming term. The idea there is very similar to what Jesus says in John 15. In John 15, he says, I'm the true vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Abide in my love, abide in my words, right? And you abide in my love by being obedient to the things I've commanded. Abide in me and you'll have great joy, right? He wants us to be rooted in him. What's he saying? 
that Jesus is the source of our sustenance, that anything we turn to to fill us up or to sustain us other than the true vine will ultimately leave us unsatisfied. It's why Ecclesiastes says the, heart, the eye never has its fill of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. We're insatiable. We're only meant to be satisfied by the true vine, rooted in his love. So when Jesus is settled down at home in us, we become rooted in his love, not only rooted in his love, but grounded. That's an architectural word, right? That he would be the foundation of our life. I think many of us, and I've said this before, many of us, we want to build our castles, don't we? We have our career plans, we have our love life plans, we have our investments, we, have our, you know, we know what, what our gifts are, and so we build this whole life, and then we think that Christianity is just sort of flying a Jesus flag from the parapet, right? That you put a Jesus flag up there, and I don't know, it's got like a dove on it, or like some grape, I don't know what a Jesus flag looks like, but it's flying up there. Listen, church, Jesus doesn't want to be a decoration on your castle. He wants to be the cornerstone upon which all that other stuff is built. The decorations are meaningless. It has to do with the foundation. He says, I pray that the Spirit of God would strengthen you in in your inner being so that Jesus would be settled down and at home in you and that then you being rooted or drawing sustenance from and established in his love, grounded in his love, would have power together with the saints. Look at this. Verse 18, may have strength, there's power again, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's kind of weird, right? He says when you're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, then you'll have power together to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God, right? The unknowable love of God in its height and depth and width and length. Well, how, how is that? Well, the word comprehend is not the best word translated here again. A better word in that verse would be the word apprehend. Because the reality is that the incomprehensible love of God and its height and depth and width and length, you and I will never get our arms all the way around, right? We're going to spend eternity exploring the height and depth and width and length of the unknowable, incomprehensible love of God. But what we do have the power to do, according to the Spirit of God within us, is that in our togetherness, we can increasingly apprehend, right? So the picture is like, um, it's like of you chasing your younger brother or your younger sister when you were a kid, right? And you go after them and they're a little bit faster than you and you reach out and you just maybe get your fingertips around the back of their shirt and you get a little tug and you sort of reel them in over time. You know what I'm talking about? That's apprehension. It's not saying that you and I will ever fully comprehend the love of God, but that in our togetherness, we have the ability to increasingly know what is incomprehensible in its height and depth and width and length. This is one of the vital reasons why community is so important. In fact, I'll say this. We live in a culture where more and more Christians are very satisfied to just sit in front of their computer and watch a podcast or listen to a sermon from South Carolina or whatever else. Can I tell you, even if you're watching, I love the technology, right? I love the fact that we have a live stream and a podcast. It's great for our partners overseas, for people that are infirm and are unable to get out of their homes. It's awesome for them to be able to worship with us. But for able-bodied, local people who have just distanced themselves from the body of Christ and feel like it's enough to just hear teaching on a computer, that isn't body life, and it's not good for you. I'm looking in the camera now, right? It's not good for you. Why? Because it's together with the saints. There's something about our togetherness in which the incomprehensible love of God is revealed in its height and depth and width and length. As we talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives, I learn things about the love of Christ that I don't know in my own experience. It's why we need the family. It's one of the reasons why the family is so vital. He says, I pray that the God who gives everything its name 
will give you strength in your inner being according to his Holy Spirit so that Jesus will be settled down and at home in you and that then you being rooted and established in his love will have power together with the saints to increasingly apprehend the unknowable love of God in its height and depth and width and length. And then look at the last part of this prayer. He says, and to be filled, that you may be filled, verse 19, with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. That could just as easily be translated crammed with all the cramming of God or stuffed with all the stuffing of God. There are theologians who've done all kinds of backflips to try and explain what it means to be filled with the fullness, right? To be filled with the filling. What is that? Well, the idea here is that by the power of God's spirit, we would increasingly be stuffed with the things of God with his word and his peace and his compassion and his love, with his power, with his glory, with his hope, that we'd be stuffed in. By the way, life, there's all kinds of things in life that squeeze us, right? There's all kinds of things in life that squeeze us. There's all kinds of things as part of a family, even a church family, that squeeze us. You know what comes out of a person when they get squeezed? Whatever they're stuffed with. Whatever you're full of, let me say it like that. Whatever you're full of is what's going to come out of you when you get squeezed, and you're going to get squeezed. This says that according to the power of the Holy Spirit within us, when Jesus is settled down and at home, when we're rooted and established in his love, that in togetherness, we increasingly apprehend the unknowable love of God, and we get stuffed with the stuff of God, filled with the fullness. But Paul's obsessed with filling in Ephesians. You can look through the whole book. He talks all about fullness and filling. That we'd be filled to a measure of the fullness of God. Now, you might look at that and go, impossible. Impossible, Darren, I, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to topple over the ledge down to the floor, six floors below. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do, and because I can't control him, I'm just going to continue to drive my pedal car around. I'm fine with this life where I show up on a Sunday, and I listen to a thing, and I sing a couple songs, and I go home. But I'll tell you that the, the future of our church is dependent upon the power of the Spirit. I hear people all the time in a church like this that has such a great legacy, right? And they go, oh, you should hear what we did in the 70s. You should hear about the amazing work we did in the 80s. You won't believe this incredible program we did in the 90s. In the 2010s, we had more people come to this church than ever. You should see what we did. And anytime I hear that, I always have a couple of questions. The first one is, are you living in a highlight reel, right? Are you, are you just sort of revisiting the successes and the glories of the past and that's sort of sustaining you in the moment because it doesn't really matter to me so much. I'm glad that God moved in powerful ways in the past, but it doesn't really matter to me so much what God did in the 70s in this church. What matters to me today is that we got lots of seats that need to be filled, not with people from other, church, or from other churches, but with people who don't know Jesus. So what's he gonna do next? I want more from Jesus than just a great highlight reel. And the only way that happens is by his power. The second question I always have when people are playing the highlight reel for me is, did you do that? Did you do that stuff in the 70s? Did you do that stuff in the 90s? Did you do that stuff in the early 2000s? Or was that the power of God? Because I'm pretty sure it was the power of God, but when we replay it over and over and over in our heads, you know what it starts to become? We did this. Look what we did. We didn't do anything. The power.
power of God moved in our midst and we want the power of God to move in our midst again. And you might look at that and go, that's impossible. Well, I think that's why Paul finishes the prayer the way he does. Look at what he says in the last two verses. In his doxology, he says, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What's that power? It's the Holy Spirit's power in our inner being. To him who was able to do abundantly more than all we ask or imagine, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I think there may be some of you here this morning who are scared of the Holy Spirit, who want to hold him at arm's length, who are very comfortable in your pedal cars, and the idea of a rocket ship feels terrifying to you. But we need the rocket ship. We were built for the power of God's spirit. My son, Hank, a few years ago, I was asking my kids, like, what do you want for Christmas? And uh, most of my kids had, like, normal things they wanted, but my son, Hank, goes, oh, I know what I want. I want that, um, I want that remote control rocket ship, or the remote control tank. Sorry, I was just talking about rocket ships. Hank says, I want the remote control tank that has the sharks painted on the side, and it goes up the wall. It drives up the wall, and then when it gets to the top of the wall, the wings come out, and it flies down to the ground. That's the only thing I want, Dad. I don't know how much it is, but if you can just get me that tank with the wings that goes up the wall, that's the only thing I want for Christmas. Please, Dad, will you get it for me? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, like, I'll see what I can do because I don't know how much it is. So I start to do a little research. I go to a couple toy stores. I can't find this thing anywhere, right? It's not, I can't find it anywhere. So I, I go to Toys R Us. I'm like, hey, do you guys have the, the remote control tank that goes up the wall and the wings come out and it flies down to the ground? The guy's like, I've never heard of that before. And I was like, yeah, me neither, sorry. I look online, you know, but when you Google Shark Tank, it just brings up the TV show, and so that didn't help. I, I looked everywhere, and Christmas is getting closer and closer. It's like two weeks away, and so I went back to Hank, and I'm trying to be cool, you know, like, give it away, and I said, Hank, you know that thing you asked for for Christmas? He goes, yeah, the tank that goes up the wall with the wings. I'm like, yeah. He goes, he says, yeah, what about it? I said, where did you see that? Like, does one of your friends have that? Or uh, did you see it on a TV commercial? Or was it on the internet? Or like, where, where did you see it? And he goes, in my mind. I'm like, you're a stupid kid, right? You're a stupid, stupid kid. I'm like, I can't, I can't get you a thing for Christmas that you dreamed up in your head, bro. I'm not like a cobbler who can go out to my workshop in the tree with all my elves and just craft this thing. Like, I, I need you to pick something for Christmas that actually exists, dude, right? You're getting a basketball. So that's, uh, that's the way that went. As a dad, I wish I had the power to do infinitely more than all Hank can ask or imagine, right? But I don't. My power is limited. This, this power of the Holy Spirit is not limited in any way. And if you're sitting here this morning going, ah, I think I'm just going to keep doing it by my own strength, can I say, why would you ever settle for a life like that? Everything else we're going to talk about in this series hinges on God's power. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. And so the call for us this morning is to go, yeah, if we're gonna be united in sacrifice, if we're gonna be a loving community, if we're gonna do any of those things, we have to start here, that we shouldn't begin anything until we are clothed with power. And it's not what God wants from us. It's what he wants for us, that he wants us to be empowered by his spirit for the mission he's called us to. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would move in us to be people who are hungry, anxious to let you push us over the edge. That we would be excited and, and kneeling before you, the one from whom all things in heaven and earth derive their names, 
asking you to empower us in our inner being so that Jesus would be settled down at home, that we would be rooted and established in his love, that together we would be increasingly apprehending the unknowable love of Jesus and then that we would be stuffed with your stuffing, filled with your fullness so that when life squeezes us, your grace comes out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.